You're listening to the Author Stories Podcast. Bringing you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Margaret Wise, Sherry Brooks, Sheena Kamal, Matthew Quick, JT Ellison, Walt D. Williams, Brad Ford, Corey, Dr. O, Brandon Sanderson, Robin Mom, Ernest Klein, Jim Butcher, Sherwin Harris. Visit hankgarner.com for archives of all the shows. Today's guest is Avery Flynn. one of those baby blue brother typewriters from my dad my parents were divorced and um i don't think he knew what to get like a six-year-old i think it was lost on him um but he got that for me and um i used to go in there and write gibberish about all of my stuffed animals um my mom actually we lived in a teeny tiny apartment two-bedroom apartments my mom had one room and my sister and i shared the other but we had like a little water heater room I don't know what else to call it. The water heater was in there. It was like in a little closet. But yeah. there's just enough space for a small six-year-old, uh, you know, to sit in there and type. And she actually sort of, you know, I, the rule was I had to leave the door open. Uh, but she sort of set me up in there to have like a little writing space. And it was just sort of the sweetest thing ever. That is so cool. So, you know, did um, did that kind of set the tone for um for your creative life like do you do you still to this day kind of find a spot that's your own that where the the stories can come alive yeah i'm i'm kind of lucky um i've got friends who you know have to be in a certain place and yeah. you know they've got to have their ritual and they've got to have the certain drink and they've got to have you know whatever it may be um, I've always been sort of where I can sneak off and, you know, get some words. I have written many a chapter in the car at a kid's, uh, sports practice. Oh yeah. So, yeah. So do you, uh, do you carry a laptop with you, you know, um, or kind of w- what is your method for making sure you get the words down? Um, <laughs> My editors might say, I don't have a method, and that's the problem uh, when it comes <laughs> to deadlines. Uh, but no, it is, um, I tend to write at my desk on a desktop, and then when I am in crunch time or I'm taking kids from one place to another, it is definitely the laptop. I, I do both. I use a program called Ulysses, yeah. and it's all cloud-based, and um, it has been super helpful. I can even in a pinch do it on my phone, I discovered. So there you go. Yeah, I found that to be super helpful. Um, I use uh, Dabble, which is also web based and the ability to to whip your phone out and to to even use voice dictation sometimes. And, and, you know, voice dictation on a phone is not perfect, um, but it it sure uh, helps later when you sit down at the desktop and, and you can you can generally get a feel for what you're trying to say, even if it didn't you know, um, come out exactly right. You know, that yes. better, to, better to have a good solid 70% of those words than, than nothing. Amen. A hundred yeah. times. Yes. So Avery, from, from that, um, from that first, um, desire at a young age to, to sneak off and tell stories, um, did, did that kind of feeling stick with you? Did, did that sort of set the tone for, for what you planned your adult life to be? 
Uh, yes, but not quite in the way it turned out. Um, yeah. So I was a print journalist for um, a long time, and that was really my my life goal. You know, that was it. That's all I wanted to do. So I was telling people stories. They just, you know, were in a daily history type of, of way. Uh, then in a fiction way, I, I've always been a huge reader, never really had plans to um, be a writer, uh, a fiction writer at all. Uh, and then, um, you know, I ended up having kids and getting called out to a fire at three in the morning is not great when you have a little baby. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't go. Plus, if you like to eat. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, being a reporter was amazing. I absolutely loved the job. But yes, the eating and the hours uh, were were kind of detrimental. Uh, so I, I swapped over and started doing in-house stuff. And then um, my husband was deployed uh, to Iraq and I had three kids by then. They were all in bed by like 7 p.m. So I had time on my hands and knew what book I wanted to re to read, but couldn't find it. So um, that sort of was my start in writing was I sat down and started to write what I wanted to read. You know, um, Avery, with we've done more than uh, what right at 1300 episodes of this show and hearing so many people's stories. Um, what I find interesting is I can count on on my two hands probably on one hand um the people that had that early desire um to write and followed that one pure passion um all the way through and and never never deviated from that path that those are rare 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 stories but they are um, amazing and completely unhinged people and i exactly. love exactly <laughs> Exactly. I, I, I love them. But yeah, it's like a completely different mindset in in the work. <laughs> it is. It is. But what is so much fun is hearing the circuitous route um, oh, yeah. that people have taken to to reach their their, you know, dream bliss. And, and it's, it's so much fun just hearing, uh, you know, how how life has a way of winding us, you know, back and forth until we. Uh, you know, land at this crazy novelist life. Um, yeah. Working as a journalist, do you, can you look back on that time and see um, tools that you picked up along the way that help you now to be a better fiction writer? And and I know that, you know, journalist, journalism writing and fiction writing are two different animals, but was there anything you picked up along the way that helps you now tell made up stories? Oh, absolutely. I think, um, you know, you, I worked in several different areas of the country. So you get, um, you know, a little bit different of a view of people. You get sort of a, a wider perspective of sort of the things that make us different and the things that make us the same. Right. Uh, I think also like one of my favorite thing to write is dialogue. I loved writing dialogue. And um, I think, spending those years just listening to people talk and getting their stories and doing that really helped in in being able to to write dialogue 180 percent um yeah for sure yeah that there's uh 
there's something about journalism that helps you to uh, to to pay attention to people. Um, you know, I've, and what's what's interesting is, you know, if you're in a, a big city, um, there might be a news event that happens, and you could possibly have five or six different journalists that show up to the same event, and then you read the stories the next day, and they're all slightly different because they're you know, from the perception, from from the 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 view of the journalist there, and everyone has different, um, uh, you know, things that they notice. The different details pop up to to certain people, and and that's always fun to just kind of see how different people see the world. Oh, absolutely, and I will say, um, I think probably being a journalist has helped a lot as far as. Um, reading reviews and things like that, because I definitely developed a thicker skin. Um, And I think part of that, like you brought up the fact that, you know, different journalists will come in and have different uh, views of things, you know, people's inherent biases, uh, who actually talks to them, all of the millions of things, sort of which path they go down. But I will tell you right now, I, uh, I remember very clearly writing, you know, a story, having it published and getting calls from people yelling at me from, completely different perspectives on things like this was way too much this and the other person's like this wasn't enough this how could you so yeah I think I think that really you know from a from a you know taking criticism side of things I think it it really taught me and brought home that lesson that you know just as we as writers bring ourselves to whatever we're we're creating um people who are readers bring their own set of expectations and history and hangups and everything else to a book. It's so subjective um, from both ends. And I just find that really, really fascinating. So Avery, when you decided to write that first novel, um, first off, the, the first novel that you wrote, was that your first novel that you published? It was. That's it amazing. Was. Yeah. I, I think that was, um, a curse and a blessing. I mean, it's amazing to, you know, I came in right at the end of like towards the end of the ebook heyday. So there were just, you know, so that was amazing. So I had a lot of opportunities that maybe people a little bit before me didn't quite have and maybe not a lot of people right after me have had. So I, I was lucky in that sweet spot there. But sort of the other side of it is that, you know, as you know, you improve your craft with every book, sure. with everything you're learning, right? And I did all of that in public. <laughs> so <laughs> that part's kind of embarrassing. But, but you know, but, you know, but that's, it's that way for everybody. You know, if you, yes. you know, someone that's published, you know, 50 books, if you look back at that first one, um, you, you can't help but see the natural progression. Uh, I and and. I guess that's something that everybody deals with at one in one way or another. Yeah. Yeah. And I was just actually having a conversation with somebody on Twitter the other day and they were like, I thought the second book would be easier. And I'm like, wait until you hear about the third or the fourth. I'm like, they don't get easier. It's such a horrible realization, but they really don't. <laughs> that's so funny. You, you know, there we have a, a saying that the number how, no matter how many books you've written and published, um, the blank page is uh, uh, is the um, uh, it, it, it's something that everyone deals with when you go to write that next. Um, that is the great equalizer. You know, when it when it's time to start that new book, everyone stares at the same blank page. 
Oh, exactly. We're like, how did I do this? I don't know how this works. Words? What are those? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's in a way it's, it's knowing what you're doing and yet starting over at the exact same time with every book. Uh, what was the the idea uh, for that first book? What what was it that that got under your skin and and had to be told? Um, well, you know, I love. Um, I'm an omnivore reader, so I read absolutely everything. Um, yeah, me too. Oh, it's just it's the best of all of the worlds. <laughs> it really <laughs> is. <laughs> uh, but so I I was really reading a ton of romantic suspense at the time, and I wanted to read, you know, um, a romantic suspense. And I was like, I, I, you know, I want it set in a small town and I want it kind of like this. And I'm like that. And I couldn't find it. And then I just got this one of my big fears as a child was always having to take out the garbage at night because it was just scary and dark and you're throwing your garbage into you know the big giant bin and somebody could jump out of there um and that has stuck with me my entire life unfortunately and um I was like imagine if you found a dead body in there what would you do and so that was basically the impetus and now I write rom-coms so again your (laughs) life just changes dramatically Do, do you do you see a connecting thread um, between the the romantic suspense and rom com, other than you know the the first part of the of the phrase, uh, the, you know both are romantic. But do do you is there a thread between the suspense and the comedy? I think there absolutely is. Um, I do too. I think I think both like a, a suspensey thrillery type book and a comedy book, they both address the fears that we have right the scary things the topics that maybe we don't talk about all the time right they just come at it from a different angle but you know the heart of comedy is always pain (laughs) i'm sorry it is and um i think the heart of romantic suspense is like the ability to overcome so then you when you add in um you know the romance factor of it that's always about both of them are really about overcoming things and and facing your fears and and going through the ugly stuff. Um, and I think they both as like a community of readers, from my perspective, both of those genres really give the ability for um, the reader to have a bit of a cathartic moment. I mean, all reading does that to extent, but I think that with this, it's almost just about that overcoming and and getting past something well looking back through your back catalog um one thing that that seems to to resonate throughout at least most of your work um i can't speak for all of it but um there does seem to be an element of levity um in in a lot of your work a lot of um snarky humor in a in a lot of places um is is that something that is just a a natural kind of outgrowth of your personality uh, what do you think about um you know adding moments of of uh humor and levity to your books i i don't know that i have tried to be more serious i've tried to be angsty um and then you know like a three-legged dog shows up you know right. that steals a chicken you know it just um three-legged dog named flash or something yeah something like that. exactly i'm gonna steal that thank you yeah. um 
but yeah, some, it's just, it's just sort of a natural little, I think part of, you know, how I grew up and, and, you know, being Gen X, we're, we're snarky little folks. Um, and then, yeah, just part of, part of dealing with, it. I don't think I could turn it off if I tried. So how long did you, did you write, um, suspense before shifting gears? Oh, um, let's see. I wrote for several years. Um, and you know, I love those books. I think they will always hold such a, a soft spot in my heart, but they did not do very well commercially. Um, and I was ready to chuck it all in and had reached out to my publisher because I still contracted for several books and said, Hey, I'm not making you any money. You're not really making me any money. So I think we should probably, you know, not do this anymore. And, um, you know, the, my, the woman that I work with as my editor, um, at Entangled was, um, Pelletier, uh, or Pelletier. Sorry. I always do that. I say it like it's spelled, uh, you know, she gave me a call and we were on the phone for probably two and a half hours. And, um, she's the one who convinced me to make that turn to rom-com. Um, you know, and really utilize that side of the voice. And I did that. And the first book, we started working together and have worked with each other since and and continue to, um, even as I work with others. And our first book together was The Negotiator. And um, yeah, that just, that changed everything. That that changed my career. It changed how I look at writing, um, changed sort of what kind of stories I wanted to write. So it's sort of like, you know, what you were talking about at the beginning about how sometimes we take just that that weird little circular route to get where we're supposed to be. I feel as a writer at this point, I'm kind of where I'm supposed to be. Was that a, a difficult switch to make? Um, you know, just thinking about stories differently. Um, did did it change the way that you plotted books? What, what was that? What, what was that gear shifting like for you? You know, it, it's very interesting because coming from romantic suspense, what you're doing is you're actually plotting two two books at once, right? You're plotting a romance and you're plotting a suspense slash thriller, whichever right. way you go. Uh, so uh, I've talked to other folks who write rom-coms, and it's always interesting to hear other people's processes. And not a lot of folks approach rom-coms the same way that I do because I still plot two books. <laughs> it's just one's a comedy and one's a romance. So um, I think they both sort of have to, to go on these sort of parallel tracks to get where you, you go on. And I do try and sneak in a dead body every once in a while. Um, <laughs> that's just, you know, that's just one of those things. That's funny. Um, do you ever, uh, well, well, first off you, you said that uh, you talked about plotting uh, those books. Are you a, a, a planner um, before you start writing? Do you kind of have the story laid out and have a roadmap of where you're going? Oh, absolutely. Um, now, not to say I stick with it all of the way, but sure. um, yeah, I I am I I like to schedule uh, all of my surprises. So um, scheduled spontaneity, that's what I call it. Uh, so yeah, I'm a little rigid. So yeah, I'm definitely a plotter. Even gotcha. after, geez, like almost 40 books, I still need to sit down and figure out where I'm going. So, so how, how in depth is that plot? Like, uh, you know, I, I know some people 
that will write like 50 pages of pre-writing before they ever get to the actual writing of the book. Are you that detailed? Is it like a, a bullet point list? Uh, are, are you kind of planning out chapters? What, what does a plan look like for you? Well, it definitely has changed over the years. I've never been a, uh, um, you know, 50 page outline or anything like that. Sure. Um, but I am at the point where what I like to do is, um, you know, it's usually like a three to five sentence description of what needs to happen in each chapter as I'm going through and, and, you know, whose POV is it going to be in? Because I do dual POV um, most of the time. And, um, you know, how does that flow? And, and, you know, so that's, that's tends to be how, how significantly I plot. Um, there is a great, if somebody is out there and, uh, whether you write romance or not, it's a great plotting book. It's called Romancing the Beat. And, um, that book is phenomenal for helping to, because as a writer, sometimes you go in and it's just you've read so much, you know how a plot's supposed to feel. Right. So when you're actually trying to organize it into, you know, categories and things like that, I, I had trouble doing that in the beginning. And Romancing the Beach just saved my bacon in that way. I just added that to my uh, oh. one click on, on Amazon. That that's Oh, yeah. Like, it's Gwen yeah. Hayes and it's just it's a phenomenal book. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Um, when your new book, let, let's talk about your new book. For Well, before we talk about the new book, I, I one thing that I noticed in your back catalog is that you have um, a, a couple of different series that are set in um, the fictional towns that you've made up. Um, or looks like you have three, three series that, that are set. Um what is uh what's the benefit to creating your own world um, that you can then tell stories in? I am incredibly lazy. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> making my own world uh, kind of helps when I'm like, but I really want this to be to happen in the story, but there is no that in that location. Um, I've got several books that are based in Harbor City, which is my fake New York. Um, and it was done partially for that reason. I'm like, but I want it to have everything, you know, that I want it to have. Yeah. Um, and the other reason is, you know, we've all been someplace or, or read a book and whether it's because it's the job that the characters have or it's location or, you know, the flight mode, whatever it may be. And there's some random, really small, really insignificant detail that you're like, that is wrong. <laughs> And it pulls you completely out of the story. Um, so creating your own world to me sort of helps skip that for folks um, and and allows them to stay in the story a little bit more. Gotcha. Um, one thing that I love to ask people is about the beginnings of stories. Um, some people will say, where do you get your ideas from? And and no writer likes to answer that question because, you know, story ideas are everywhere. You just have to mm -hmm. reach up and grab the one that that's resonating at the moment. But um, when you begin a book um, at one point, the the book does not exist in, in any in any way, shape, or form. And then either a character walks onto the stage of your mind or you start playing the what-if game. 
uh, or maybe you you know have read something and it triggers your imagination. And at some point, uh, a book like What You're Gonna Do does exist, and and then it's your job as the writer to kind of dig that out of the dirt and polish it off and and make it into the the book that it will be. Um, what was the what was that that kind of instigating moment for this book uh, for you? You know, I think it was in how I wanted to tell the story. So uh, what you're going to do, you know, when we we talked about and playing this book, um, my agent, Elaine, um, my editor, Christine Schwartz at at Berkeley and myself. And really what we what I would what I wanted to do was tell the story. But I love an underdog story. Underdog stories make me so happy. <laughs> so I'm like, I want to make this world that is basically our world. But everybody's magic, right? All of that stuff exists. It's not in, I'm getting a peek into a world I didn't know existed. It is, this is the world. It is our world, but everybody's magic. And there's all this stuff. And so I knew I wanted to do that. I knew I wanted to do an underdog story. So I'm like, imagine being like from the most powerful magical family and you have none. You're like just this dud. (laughs) And, you know, what kind of job would you do? What, you know, what would your attitude be? You know, how would that work? What would you do? So that definitely was sort of the beginning story and how I started thinking about Tilda and planning her out. And then the way I wanted to tell the story, because um, we were doing it in first person, I really wanted the reader to ratchet up their involvement in the story. So I wanted the characters to actually talk to the readers. Um, Some people love it. Some people hate it. It is very divisive. (laughs) Straight up knew that going in. But I love when you would be at a club or you're at the grocery store or you're in some random spot and you end up talking with this stranger. And they're so engrossing that, like, you let people skip ahead of you so you can hear the rest of their story. And that's what I really wanted to do. So that's why, you know, the story starts off with Tilda basically introducing herself and saying, hey, it's me. And, you know, no, I'm not that one. I'm not that one either. I'm this one. So I think it just really kind of set up both the world, sort of the tone of the book, and then also how Tilda sees herself in the beginning, because that's her big growth arc. Really. Gotcha. When I first got this book um, in the mail from from your publicist, um, you know, I think, oh, well, this is a a paranormal romance and you know i kind of i kind of thought that i knew what the book was by you know looking at the arc and uh and i sat down to start reading it and i was like oh okay this is a, a paranormal romance slash um little bit of a cozy mystery um slash um a heist novel yes. <laughs> slash you know and and it just kept going on and on the the book got more um, complex and the story, you know, and, you know, this is why you should never, um, you know, prejudge a book, um, obviously. But I but will it, say, though, that this cover is beautiful. Lenny Kaufman did such an amazing job. Please judge this book by the cover. Um, absolutely. Absolutely. It's a gorgeous, it's a gorgeous cover. Um, but but I, I was not prepared for um, how complex the plot was. And I don't mean that in a bad way, not complex as in convoluted. But it did, the story just kept growing and growing, and um, it, it was so much fun. Oh, I'm so glad you liked it. Yeah, I, I think I 
that's what's kind of fun about this. Well, number one, you know, when you go in and you start something new, right? This is my first, um, I've done a couple of novellas that had been paranormal, but this is my first big paranormal um, novel size. I love reading paranormal. I love the world building that people put into it. And I, there's so much amazing craft and levels that people do with, you know, paranormal, fantasy, science fiction, all of that. Sure. And I just really wanted to lean into that. Um, and then also it's because it's the first book in a series. It's like, you know, you're sort of Dorothy opening that that front door of your house in Oz. You know, you you think you know what's going on. And then there's this huge world beyond it. And I just thought that was fun. Plus, right. you know. I might have had a little too much fun going, and then this can happen. You know, there's something really fun about going from, uh, you know, writing contemporary to doing something where you're kind of stuck. And then you're like, oh, wait, they have magic. And it, yeah, you're like, oh, I can totally fix that. That that makes sense. I got this. I heard someone say um, one time that they really wanted to write a Western um, but they were scared to write a Western because they didn't they, they weren't um, steeped enough in the history and the, um, you know, to get all the details right. And, yeah. and someone said, well, just throw in a unicorn um, because <laughs> as, as soon as you throw in a unicorn, then all bets are off. It, it becomes then, you know, fantasy and it can be anything that you want it to be. And you can include all the Western elements that you want to without having to be an expert on the genre and and I kind of laughed because that is funny but it's it's true it's at the true. same time as soon uh-huh. as you include something that's that's off the map a little bit then it just completely frees you up to tell any kind of story that you want to do um was it like that writing paranormal for you since this was your first uh, foray into paranormal did, did was there a freeing aspect to it yeah, there. I think there definitely was. Um, it, it had sort of that, you know, first book feel to it from a writing perspective where, you know, you don't know all the rules yet. You haven't made all of the mistakes yet. Or if you have, you haven't realized you made those mistakes yet. So, um, yeah, there's not as much um, self-doubt is the wrong word, but like self-censorship where you sort of bring yourself back and you're like, I can't do that. You know, there's not as much of the I can't. Um, right. When you when you try something new like that. So you you mentioned rules, you know, you, you weren't sure of the rules yet. Are those are, are there certain rules to to the paranormal genre that, you know, things that that readers expect to see? Or are you talking about rules that, that you had made up so that you stay within the confines of, of the world and the dynamics that you set up? Um, I met more from like reader um, expectations. Sure. And then you also kind of look at like there are different levels of expectation within, you know, say it's a paranormal romance that gives you one expectation about how much is going to be paranormal and how much is going to be romance. You know, you read just straight paranormal again, you're like, all right, you know, I'm expecting this and that. And so trying to sort of balance those expectations I think was a little bit that was challenging you know and and I think it's fine because I'll talk to readers and 
you definitely can tell people who got more who who read more paranormal romance because they wanted more of that or that was their the part that drew them in and then you've got folks who read more paranormal and fantasy and they're like i loved it once they got on that train and things went moving and (laughs) you know again so it's it's balancing that little bit of expectation i think gotcha one thing that i definitely wanted to ask you um i absolutely love a heist novel um I, there's just something fun about it and and um uh, what was what was the the thing that instigated that storyline i wanted to write a heist book for a long time and i think so the the fact that i got a chance to even put a little bit of a heist in this was really fun for me um a lot of times i write just to amuse myself um so <laughs> that was definitely one of those times Gotcha. Well, the new book is What You Gonna Do. It is available everywhere now when you're hearing this. Uh, what You Gonna Do. I'm, I'm, I don't feel like I pronounced that uh, well <laughs> enough. Uh, but uh, it's it's available in Kindle edition or uh, audiobook or paperback, however you prefer uh, to read books. Uh, you know, audiobooks are the, the largest uh, growth market in publishing right now. How do you feel about your books being translated to audio? Um, I love it. I'm a firm believer in being able to, uh, you know, reach readers wherever they are, Absolutely. you know, whether it's audio or it's um, like the gaming adaptations that they do or what uh, print, you know, digital, whatever it is that, that gets them their story fixed. I, you know, I think that's the way to go. 100%. 100%. Well, we're going to put links in the show notes to make it easy for folks to find the book. Um, Avery, if people are just discovering you and want to dig into all the amazing stuff you're doing, I know that you have uh, a, a presence online in several different places. What What's the best place for, for people to connect with you? Um, I think probably if you go to my website, which is just AveryFlynn.com, I have a little button on the front that has like a, a book list and... Um, like a good romance reader that I am, we are obsessed with um, character connections. So uh, on the book list, it actually includes which, who the uh, main love interests are within each story, because that's what we want to know, because we read one book and then we're like, well, I want that person's book. So that way it flows through. Excellent. We will link that up in the show notes as well. Um, Avery, this has been so much fun uh, chatting. We're going to send everyone to pick up a copy of the new book, which you're going to do. Thank you so much for taking time to come on the show. Thank you, Hank, so much for having me. I had a ton of fun.